Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to the huddle. Mike Max, Pete Nigerian, joined by Larry Day, who is, uh, I'm just really looking forward to this. Pete, you know Larry and you go way back with him. Give him his proper introduction and take it away. Well, uh, you can't say enough good things about Larry Day. What a wonderful person he is and, and some of the work that he's done in his lifetime and the, the couple of jobs that he's had. But I think we just jump right into it, Maxie. And we, Larry, great to have you with us. And um, I'm curious if you can give us any highlights during your years working the, as a DEA agent and the undercover world. And, and how, is, how, does, how do you prepare for something like that? I'm just curious, mm. how does that even become something? <laughs> hey, my brother Pete. It's great to to hear your voice. We don't get to talk enough, and uh, right. I'm uh, I'm delighted to be on this show and uh, share some experiences with you guys. Whatever you you want me you want me to go into some career stuff first. Uh, yeah, give us a little career. Yeah, how do you end show? up there? Yeah. <laughs> how on earth? Well, so you know, I I was um, I became just a regular old police officer at San Jose PD back in 1991. Uh, went through the academy, and uh, it's a rather large police department it's uh you know city of a million people 10th largest in the united states so it has its its significant uh urban problems so um you know just doing the regular police work stuff i learned uh, on the streets pretty not i don't want to say quickly because i'm a slow learner but um i kind of learned how the game was with the with drug dealing and the gangsters and stuff like that and so got involved in and in working that really hard on the streets and uh went to a street narcotics unit and worked that for a couple of years. And from there, um, we have a DEA task force, a federal task force in town. And what they do is they, you know, they, they uh, kind of try to supplement their unit with local police officers to work as task force agents. So um, I was able to test and, and get into that unit. And, and truth be told, though, that was a really short-lived experience at DEA. It was only a year and a half uh, before I moved on from there to go do some other things. But uh, for a year and a half, it was, you know, seeing the inside of the inner workings of the high-level drug cartels in the United States, and that was really eye-opening. So that's kind of how Larry, I got we, there. We, we got a problem here in Minneapolis, and probably most urbans do, but obviously the George Floyd originated here, and, there, and there's lots of carjackings now and gang violence and, uh, and lack of respect for police departments. Is, is that urban everywhere, and how do you penetrate that if, if you need to figure out what their next move is going to be? Yeah, you know, um, it, it, and it's weird because, you know, the the, the struggles with police and, and uh, communities throughout the United States really gets 
magnified on uh, you know by the media as a maybe an us versus them uh, attitude, and I think that's just perpetuated by the media. But in reality, um, and I'm speaking specifically of San Jose, the city of San Jose, we have such a strong relationship with our community that um, s- such support. I mean, you know. We could go into why that is, you know, uh, from a professional standpoint and all that. But basically, you know, um, we do things we, – we try to do things right, and we always have out here. And so we have the respect of the community and the community's cooperation. So once you have that, um, tackling those major problems becomes a lot easier because you have help from the community to address those issues, and you have the support. And it's, it really isn't a us versus them when it's, when you're talking about – the community and the police officers, it's really a us versus the bad guys. And, and we were able to take out the bad guys pretty effectively that way. And Larry, it seems like uh, you, you, uh, you and I've talked a little bit about this, not a lot about this. Cause uh, you know, I never know how, how deep you want to go, but I, I will say that it, it it's pretty interesting. Um, some of the lifestyle that you had to, to as you go undercover at times and, and right. kind of looked the part and all is—is uh, is that difficult? I mean, just give, walk my, Maxie and I through how crazy that is to to actually be within that group and see what's really going on—the mechanics of it all. Right, right. That so um, you know, going forward with my career, I went from the DEA task force to an FBI task force, set up quite the same, where they uh, they have local police officers work with the federal agents and tackle the local problems uh, on a, on a bigger level. So. Now, that, again, wasn't a very long-lived experience. That was another year and a half, almost two years. And I, I worked Asian organized crime. So um, back then in the 90s, late 90s, we had a big issue. Silicon Valley was booming. The computer industry was booming, high tech. And we were getting uh, armed uh, invasions of companies, businesses, by um, Asian organized crime. They were they were stealing the computer devices and selling them on the black market. So we put a task force together and went after them. And um, there were some really big operations that happened back in that time. Uh, Operation West Chips was one in the 90s. You guys could probably Google that and see how that went down. Um, and then we spun off and did another investigation off of that. Um, but And then from there, um, Pete, I think what you're hitting on is when, when I ended up going back to San Jose PD to work uh, assignments there, I ended up working the criminal intelligence unit. And, and my assignment in that unit was outlaw motorcycle gangs and prison gangs. And so, and that's where kind of the undercover stuff started to happen for me, um, specifically with the, the outlaw motorcycle gangs. And I, I can go further into that if, you, if, you, if, you, if you'd like. Yes, yes, go further into that. What's it like to <laughs> penetrate a motorcycle gang as one of them? <laughs> well, you know, so here's the, here was the battle with that. So in San Jose... And again, if you guys historically, I'm not sure everybody remembers this, but there was right after 9-11, right around 9-11, obviously everything turned to terrorism and that's what we were focused on. And that was on a national, international scale. But what, and, and I had to help out with a little bit of that stuff. But again, my focus was outlaw motorcycle gangs and prison gangs. So I started, you know, I started getting, you know, a, a little dirty look to me, you know, growing the hair out, growing the beard out. Um, and during that time, again, not sure if anybody recalls this, but there was a there was a battle out here on the West Coast between mo- two outlaw motorcycle gangs, the Hell's Angels and the Mongols. And it reached its, you know, its peak in uh, Nevada, in Laughlin, Nevada, when there was a shootout at a casino. So 
the issue with that in San Jose specifically was we had both those outlaw motorcycle gangs operating in the city of San Jose. We had the, the Mongols and the Hells Angels. So my job was to find out what the heck these guys were doing and when they were going to do it. And so uh, infiltrating them was not the goal. And, and I want to make that clear. I, I uh, First of all, from a, a command staff level, that was not going to happen. They were not going to let me become an undercover guy and infiltrate either of these motorcycle gangs for the, you know, the obvious reasons of the, the danger involved and the liability sure. and all that stuff. And would it, even, would it even work on a big-term scale when you're just a local police department? That's stuff that the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agency does, the ATF. And those guys are the premier experts at infiltrating outlaw motorcycle gangs. They've done it numerous times. And so my role, again, and I'm long-winded here, my role was to kind of look the part to find out what these guys were doing and then to relay information to our patrol officers so that they could take action and our special special operations group so that they could target some of these bad guys and remove them before danger really hit its peak. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, I would, I, would, uh, I would socialize with these guys. I would go out, I would hang out at the bars, I would be at their events, and I would get to know some of the guys but not in the aspect of trying to infiltrate just to, I was just a fly on the wall, just trying to, you know, I would show up and, you know, I'd drink beer, I'd hang out, I'd talk to them. And through doing that, I kind of knew the ins and outs of the group. And I was able to relay that intelligence back to my department and upwards to the alcohol, tobacco and firearms. So that they knew what was going on. So it was really, again, a fly on the wall. I never got recruited but I, I was around their operations, not on the inside. I couldn't tell you exactly who was who was doing what, but I kind of had an idea uh, from the drug dealing and the violence aspect of what was what was going on in those organizations. So that was kind of that. Isn't that fascinating, Maxie? I tell you, it's, oh, it's, boy. it's amazing. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. And and real quick, Larry, I know we're probably pushing up on time, but and 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 over the last few years, how many years has it been that you are? Uh, security for one of the nfl teams oh yeah so i uh i started um i you know i i was still a police officer i was still i was a sergeant uh doing stuff at san jose pd and just uh and some stuff came along where i ended up meeting one of the head security guys from the local nfl team here and uh you know they'd asked me if there was stuff i did on the side that i could help out in a security capacity with either the team or the corporation and uh, we were we were able to do that at my police department. It had to be authorized by the chief of police. It was a side job, uh, not uniform related. It was plain clothes, and so I got the approval to do that. And so that was back in way back in 2013 is when that that started. And and, and is it, is it enjoyable? Is it fun? Is it different with COVID? What is it? Oh gosh, well, uh, enjoyable is. For a football fan like me is an understatement because, again, I also kind of not comparing it to the doing the undercover stuff, but you know I'm a fly on the wall with the team because I'm doing security, sure, protecting them. But I'm around them, I, I see things, I hear things. Um, I'm a fan, so I try not to be a fanboy and, and fawn all over them. I try to I, I try to do my my secret service role in protecting them and doing the things that I have to do. With COVID, it entirely changed. It, uh, 
uh, you know, last year I did not work one NFL game. I was not in one NFL stadium during the whole season. But the team still traveled. The owners still had to go places, the general manager, the coach. And so we still needed to be around them. We just were not present during the games. So that was kind of odd. Um, but it's, you know, for me, for being a football fan, it's been it, combining my two, my two, you know, uh, hobbies and, and joys in life, police work, which paid me and then doing, doing football stuff, which pays me also. It's kind of a dream come true for a simple <laughs> you guy, guy like me, you know, I mean, and my, it's, it's my favorite NFL team that I grew up loving as, as a youngster. So that just kind of is the icing on the cake right there. It's really been fascinating ride. Well, Pete uh, called my attention to you, and he was right. Very interesting. I hope someday you come to Minnesota. Pete, can we have lunch if we do? Because I think it would be oh, about yeah. a three-hour lunch if I could ask all yeah. the questions I'd like to ask. <laughs> it'll, it'll turn into a dinner. <laughs> yeah. And I, I tell you, I'm, uh, you know, obviously you can tell I can talk a lot as I took up most of the airtime. Um, but, hey, if you guys could have me out there when it's not minus 24 wind chill, uh, I'll be there. <laughs> okay, mean, so July 5th we think we'll get there, okay? <laughs> There we go. There we go. <laughs> Larry, thank you so much. Thanks, Larry. It, my brother. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Enjoy NFL today, guys. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.